0: Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. Today, we're sharing an insightful presentation from one of our Innovative Executives League Summit speakers, Jack King. If you're unfamiliar with the Innovative Executives League, It's an invite-only community of innovators, entrepreneurs, and intrapreneurs with a growth mindset and a passion for innovation. I founded the organization about five years ago to increase the network of innovation here in the Chicagoland area and also on a national scale. At the November summit, Jack spoke to the audience about creating an effective innovation culture and leveraging disruptive technologies through VR and AR. A little bit about Jack. Jack currently serves as the CIO for the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, AAOS. He provides vision and leadership to help develop and manage both the application, data, and service portfolios to enable AAOS to be the trusted leader in advancing musculoskeletal health. Prior to AAOS, Jack served as the Chief Technology Officer of Broward Health and the Chief Technology Officer for the State of Illinois. Enjoy the episode.
1: But thank you for coming today. I'll give you a little bit of background on AAOS. I figured I'd start with that. This building is where our headquarters is. We have several different lines of business. We represent 39,000 orthopedic surgeons, primarily in uh, North America, uh, always looking to expand our footprint internationally. The place that you're joining us from is the OLC. Hopefully you like it here. Uh, we're always trying to look for folks to take advantage of the venue. It's one of the things that I've asked Patrick to promote as well. Like every business coming out of COVID, you know, we had a lot of solid bookings leading up to things, but now we're trying to rebuild business. So I appreciate everybody being here. And if you've enjoyed it, please do us a favor and tell someone about it. We certainly appreciate that. So we talked a little bit about the OLC here. Our primary role is to provide advocacy for our members in D.C., to provide education for our members, to help them in tracking their CMEs for education credits, to provide materials for that, and overall to make sure that we have a good place for folks to meet. And we have one of the largest meetings every year outside of HIMSS. So this year coming up, it'll be in Las Vegas, and hopefully we'll start to get back to those pre-COVID numbers. But in this particular culture, we have very innovative members We have an academic mindset here at the Academy. So what I'm going to talk a little bit about today, and I want it to be interactive. I'll ask you guys questions as well, is what we've done here to create an effective innovation culture and some of the byproducts of that. So let's talk about the challenge. And I always like to ask the audience this type of a question, but obviously right now there's a big disconnect between demand and supply for innovation and innovative thought, right? So we have folks on our teams, some of you here, deal directly with innovation all day long. How many of you work for an organization that simply drives innovation or it's your primary focus? Okay, all right. And then how many of you work with an organization that's still kind of wrestling with innovation, maybe does some of it both internal or does some of it external? So kind of a split between there. okay. You know, it's always interesting in my mind to take a position as a leader in an organization, I've been here about two and a half years, And when you look at the culture, you tend to find yourself in the middle of the two most dangerous camps in the world, right? Those who want everything to change and those who want nothing to change. And I think those of you who've led other organizations realize that tension creates an interesting opportunity. How you harness it, what you do with it, it's challenging. It was challenging to do in person in several of my other roles. I have to tell you, it was most challenging to do this over the last two and a half years in a virtual environment where you hadn't had too much face time face to face with anyone. So to earn that trust and some of the other things we're going to talk about today was certainly a big challenge. So many of you come from established industries. The academy is very well established, been around since 1933. And those who are in fields that are exposed to disruptive technology regularly figure out how to handle that, right? They either adapt or pivot. They rapidly try to develop on their own, or they end up getting usually disrupted from the bottom up, right? People, new entrants come into the market. They do different things. But, you know, when you think about the organizational agility to kind of look out and, number one, have that mindset, number two, understand what does it mean to me, you know, the thought of the tortoise and the hare really came to mind. You have some people that can jump really fast ahead, right? And you have others who they live in their shell of comfort. They don't understand the why, right, on why they're doing it, et cetera. And it's really the tough part of leadership is creating that culture so that the folks who are the turtles have that opportunity to move forward and want to go forward with that mindset, right? There's safety there. They they want to be part of that. So, you know, when I was researching and thinking about ideas of where you see turtles right if you ever see a turtle up on a fence post you know it probably had help getting there right well a lot of what we're going to talk about today was helping people get up on that fence post and be able to take a look around from a different vantage point so perhaps you've heard this about questions connecting right extroverts on our teams are the types of people that will ask the questions and our introverts live with them so one of the first things in getting to create this culture was understanding more about the people that were behind it what their motivations were, what their personalities are, et cetera, right? And creating a safe space to ask these types of questions, to live with these questions about what journey are we on and why are we doing it? How do I and other leaders interact with them with a combination of art and science, right? What kind of feedback are they giving me? You know, quantitative feedback are they giving us in surveys? What are the qualitative things that you see? And again... I would challenge others, you know, when you meet people at first on Zoom, it's quite different than reading the body language of someone in a room, right? Because it just isn't as rich, it does take longer to get used to one another, et cetera. I think that was one of the biggest opportunities that we had, was how do we rapidly innovate, create those relationships, and get them to move forward? Uh, We did do some creative things. Uh, I kind of took literally a Socratic method of this, of talking through and going out and doing walks in the woods, right? So myself, a few others would take... The team's out for a walk in the woods, where it was a safe space because we socially distanced, right? There was a lot going on with COVID, but it also created an opportunity to really connect people with why, give them a chance to talk to us in person, and overall, just make it a safer place, right? And what you find is, as you unfold an environment and you look at making it safe for them to ask questions, the timing and the framing of those questions come out. The extroverts, those of you who are probably a lot like me in the room, You'll ask the question, you know, almost impulsively, right? You'll lean forward in your chair and do it. You'll have others who are much more thoughtful. And until you connect with their mind and their heart, they're not sure. And especially if you're new and you're, you know, in charge of them and their future, right? And you, you play a big role in shaping where they go in the organization. It takes time to build that. But I will have to say that by creating the environment to ask the right questions, know that you're hitting the right spot because when the people who were quiet started speaking up in the meetings or were the first to speak up, that was a great indicator that we were making progress. And obviously, you're inheriting cultures as well, right, and changes in regimes. The academy had gone through a fairly large change a year or two before I came in with new leadership teams. And it was evident that there was change, right, changing the old guard, changing the new guard. There was trust. There was turnover. There was a lot of different things that were going on at that time. So you had to not only overcome this dynamic here, but the larger cultural dynamic of what you've inherited, right, from that standpoint. So – the three most important things that I wanted to share about creating a culture where people were comfortable asking questions, right, were creating a patient environment, which was hard for me. I'm someone who likes to charge hard and get things done and try to get to the results. To walk the talk and model that by waiting to ask the question, waiting to see where things were going. And then when we did have people that started to speak up and engage, thanking them for their input, making it safe, and if anybody else, any of the other extroverts started to challenge their thinking or out loud or did things to make it safe for them to say, you know what, that's an interesting point, but we'll come back to that later. So what I had found is that you had two different schools, right? You have people that don't want anything to change, you've got people that want to change things, right? And personalities play a big role in how those things come out. The key question is, am I creating an environment where I'm, as a leader, providing too many answers and not asking enough of the right questions? That was really difficult and challenging for me, but it it did pay off, as I'll show you in the end here. So talk about some of the frameworks, right? And I think most of us have grown up and been in an environment where we've kind of looked from the bottom or the midsection to the top, right? So we've grown up in these hierarchical frameworks where the hipper, the highest paid person in the room, is at the top. People don't challenge them. People don't usually come up and generate different ideas. It was really about moving from hierarchy to accountability. And accountability and empowerment at that team level of breaking down the silos, saying you're all part of building this new product, this new service, it went a long way because in many tightly controlled environments, people will only do what they're told or they'll only do the minimum necessary because they're concerned. Have I done too much? Have I stepped on somebody's toes? What will somebody think of me? So it was really important to drive down and say, how do I make it safe to take risks? How do I build more small teams to discuss how people are processing what they hear right, and doing that? I quickly learned like many organizations, you know, bad news could get halfway around the world, even if it was maybe not the most accurate news before the truth could even get its shoes on, right? So before too long, if you haven't looked up Brandolini's uh, BS principle, it's a theory that it takes 1x to produce BS and about 3x to fight it. And if you ever find yourself on the side of constantly having to put out the fires of the 3x, you should really start looking at where is that coming from and how do you do that? So in a hierarchy that Backchain is always there, and being able to kind of subvert that by spreading things out and showing people a new reality was key for us. So talk a little bit about alignment and autonomy, right? Most large organizations are built, and they're designed for efficiency. So as you look at some of the points that are up here, when you think about project managers or autonomous direction of you will do this or we're going to measure it out and do it in this very waterfall type methodology that was out there. Moving people to sort of an agile fall and then into a much more agile environment was key for us right to continue to do that. It had to create a new mindset. Remember we're in an environment serving 39,000 members who are surgeons and we love them to death and they're perfectionists. thank God right when you're doing a procedure but when it comes to developing software when it comes to changing culture when it comes to some of these softer pieces If you're able to release nine-tenths of a product and it's good enough, let's focus on getting it good enough, getting it out there and adding value for people, not missing it by one-tenth, right? So what what you start to notice is people tend to say all or nothing. It's 100% or it's not good. So getting people to be comfortable with the fact that 90% is good enough and why not go faster, right, and think about it agile. So a couple of other things. Trust, much greater than control. Avoiding the matrix. Getting people plugged into the mission. This was the key. You have to be able to build a culture where people understand that we're going to get results, but where they're not going to come at the cost of our relationships, right? Those are sacred, and that's part of the trust. That's easy to say. That's hard to do, and it takes a lot of political capital at times, right, to burn that or avoid burning that. Most of you are familiar with this particular flywheel, right, of innovation. I borrowed this off of Noble, and our organization wasn't too different than others in that we spent... A good deal of time on Explorer, where things tended to get gummed up was at scale, right? How many people here have seen that before? You can have a great idea, but if it fails to scale, it doesn't get anywhere, right? It doesn't change things. It doesn't do that. So we we really had to get better at realizing that when a group of people or individuals come up with an idea and then we go to scale it, without the right sponsorship, without the right people behind it, without the right thought process of why we're doing this, it can die, especially in old school or legacy organizations, right? That thinking, they tend to congregate and say, ah, I'm gonna treat this like a foreign cell, right? Like a foreign body. I'm not sure why we're doing this. I don't know how it might disrupt the way I've always done things. So when you talk about change management, when you talk about readiness, scale is incredibly important. There are so many good ideas that die off on the scaling path, it's incredible. So from that standpoint, we really embraced innovation. It led to some new ideas. And even at a place like ourselves that was legacy and thinking with a lot of change going on, we are able to launch our new digital front door, right? This was and is a new innovation for the Academy where we're in the members' pocket. We're covering most of the key things that the members told us were important to them. How do I get to meaningful information with one click, next level? How do I anticipate what Dr. Goyle would like as a shoulder specialist or someone who's in spine or someone who's in neuro or someone who's doing hips and shoulders, elbows, etc. But the idea, the more we know our members and the easier we can make it for them and by taking the friction out was great. This was a collaborative effort. And for some people who understand how siloed and structured some of these older organizations are, the amount of collaboration that goes into each one of the departments that are connected behind these things that are used to operating in one line of business or one silo to come together to agree on what this would look like and getting, you know, a cross section of 39,000 surgeons to agree that yes, this is a good enough start. Those were challenges. We never could have done that previously with the way that the culture was running before. It was a real challenge. So. There's exciting things going on in the world of orthopedics. I would also encourage you as you leave here, take a walk around the floor. You can see how different devices have progressed and how quickly things are moving forward in our world.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. If you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website. At dragonspears.com slash podcasts, or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.